Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 44, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, on the eve of the biggest night, it comes once every four years. Santa comes every year. It's even bigger than that for the kids tuning in. The Rugby World Cup, it's upon us, but we will have a look first at all the MLR action on tonight's show as we review and preview the Glendale Raptors with Mark Bullock joining us. But as always, my partner in crime, my PIC, who just returned from the beautiful well, what would you call it? The land of uh, what is Spain, Pete? Fill me in. What is Spain known for? Well, um, I, I will tell you what it was known for, for um, in, in my trip. I was in Madrid for a few days, so it was known for lots of different pork products. You can't, you can't really be a vegetarian in Spain. Everything has ham in it. Um, and it's um, um, known, even though it is a rising uh, power in European rugby, um, some con- uh, some controversy and eligibility issues prevented them from uh, being in Japan uh, this week. Uh, but it's mainly known for soccer. And uh, I had dinner at the Bernabeu Stadium, which is where Real Madrid play, and then um, went to see uh, Atletico Madrid play Juventus last night, which was a phenomenal game in this amazing new stadium and um, was one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced at a sporting event. Yeah, saw the video you sent through and then on social media at PJRugby9 on Twitter, just for the uh, folks at home if they want to jump on that. But uh, Pete, let's talk a little MLR. We've been going through our reviews and previews. And tonight it's the Glendale Raptors. Year one, they were head and shoulders above the rest until that fateful uh, Saturday afternoon in July when Seattle beat them in the championship. Year two, you kind of expected them to come out of the gates and really finish the job they started in 2018. It didn't happen. Pete, you've had a chance to look at the statistics. Talk us through the numbers that was the Raptors in 2019. Well, you know, the Raptors were such an interesting team. Um, They, you know, played a style, um, a very exciting style, but a very difficult style. It was a style that made it very um, very challenging for them, but they were, um, you know, arguably, arguably the best attacking team in the league. Um, their stats showed up. They they had sixty five tries. That's number two in the league. They had the number one in ball carries, number one in offloads, number one in tackle breaks and line breaks. Um, they had the leading try scorer in John Ryberg. Um, they had uh, the leading ball carrier in Luke, Luke White and the leading offloader in DTS. So they were a really amazing attacking team. Um, the challenge is that they were, were, was really two, two things. One is their defense wasn't great. And it's interesting, you know, they um, they didn't create a lot of turnovers um, at the tackle. Um, they were number seven in tackle percentage and dominant tackle, which are, is I think a really important stat. Um, and they had no defensive leaders in the in the statistics, and so none of the top ten in any of the defensive categories came from Glendale, and I think that was um, a real issue for them. Despite all of their attacking prowess, they actually ended up with minus seven points if you balance what they scored and what they conceded, and I think that that really came from um, you know a couple of issues. They struggled in the scrum. Um, that their, their scrum was a struggle and in the line out. So one of the reasons why they had high 
scores down is they didn't kick very much, but actually they weren't winning the ball. And the second thing was, and this is something that really was not solved by the coaching staff from year one to year two, which is they had way too many handling errors. So their attacking play and their dynamic play put their players in a position where they had to execute under pressure and they just weren't able to do it. So they would do, they would go three, four, five, six, seven, eight phases, and then they would drop the ball. They just weren't able to execute under the pressure that that attacking style put their skills. Now, as we know, Dave Williams has been let go by the Raptors, replaced by Pete Borlase for 2020. Pete, let me ask you this. Was the Raptors' downfall in 2019, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, the evolution of the league that they didn't keep up with? Or do you think there were underlying cultural issues in the locker room that eventually led to their downfall? Well, I mean, I think that those things are, are, are probably linked. I mean, you can look at um, some of their results. You know, they had a couple of ties um, in their season. And if they had won those, then things could have been different. I think I think that, you know, I think that um, those of us that have some connections to the Raptors certainly felt like there were some cultural issues. I think, you know, um, uh, Pete Borlase came out and talked about how he wanted to change the culture of the team. Um, Dave Williams was a very, very demanding coach. You know, we, we we know whenever we talk to him, even after a win, he he wasn't happy. Um, and I think if you're winning, I think that that you can sustain that. I think the challenge is when you stop winning, that's when you need to make some adjustments in 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 how you um, interact with the players. You have to adjust. I don't think there's one way to do it. And I, I wonder, as the season went on, if um, if the coaches didn't adjust their style and therefore the culture actually wasn't able to sustain the performance that they wanted. Yeah, it was an interesting start to the year. We You'll hear a little bit more when we catch up with Mark Bullock, but I was curious to know if the ARC had a, an effect on them. They had some injuries with uh, Hunko being out. And you talked about defence. And I think they really missed, you know, that combination of John Quill and Ben Landry, big, physical, aggressive defenders that uh, if you remember in 2018, they were the best in the league at stifling at the breakdown and slowing things down, which which is where Pete Dahl came into his element. But this year, Pete was kind of burdened with having to not only do a lot more defense that kind of affected his ability to, you know, be uh, an impact at the breakdown. So it'd be I think a lot of elements went into it. I think you're absolutely right. But yeah, it, it, it was an interesting year watching them. It really was because we're so used to a decade of dominance from that side to watch them falter. I'm sure for their fans, it was just a bizarre year to sit back and kind of see them lose. In particular, that loss to Seattle at home stood out where they really, really got belted. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you, you can look at, um, at, at the results. You know, they were belted there. They were belted in their... Um, in their game against San Diego, um, you can see that there are some of these results that were just, you know, they tied with Utah. It, it was just such an inconsistent team. And it's the inconsistency that I think really, really hurt them. You know, it's, it's you know, when you lose to, um, you know, so we, we remember that that loss to Houston in Houston's run. It was, um, 
you know, it was it was just a shock. And by then, I think things had really come off the wheels for them. And they just, you know, their last three games, um, let me just, I'm just pulling this up. You know, they their last three games were a loss to Houston. Um, and then they got beaten by Seattle pretty badly. And then it was it, it was all over. Um, and, you know, they, they lost to Toronto. But it was that game against Houston that I think maybe they looked past um, and didn't realize the change that Houston's was were making that was that was tough because they really had to run the table in those last three games to make the playoffs. Remember that was the makeup game because of the storm. So they got beat by Seattle and then had a short week in Toronto. They had to go down midweek, lost to Houston, and then travel straight up and then they lost to Toronto. So uh, it, won't be, it won't be too harsh. And I think mathematically they were pretty close to being eliminated once they uh, were in Houston as well. It was, a, it was a very long stretch to make it. Well, let's let's hear from a man who is in charge of, uh, well, at least in part in charge of turning things around in Glenda. It's the director of rugby, a man who's been with the Raptors for a long, long time, Mark Bullock. And I got a chance to sit down and catch up with Mark earlier today. Joining me now is the Director of Rugby for the Glendale Raptors, Mark Bullock. Mark, thanks a lot for joining the show. A busy off-season for you guys this year. Thank you, Dan. Um, absolutely, yeah. Quite a few changes in our program, and we're looking forward to the season coming up in January and full season in February, yep. Now, for those who don't know, you're one of the originals, the founding fathers of what is now Glendale uh, Infinity Park, the whole Thing You started, you were there day one with uh, the Mayor Mike Dunifin and a host of other, not only players, but administrative staff as well. Mate, talk us through a little bit about your background, getting involved with the Raptors, and then obviously the story that led to what we have right now. <laughs> well, that's kind of a long story, actually, but um, getting involved with the Raptors, actually just starting the name of the Raptors was all part of it, but uh, originally, when I was coaching the USA Under-19 team, uh, the present mayor, Mike Donovan, uh, his son was playing for us. And at that time, Mr. Donovan decided to get back involved with rugby and uh, got involved with the local team that I was coaching here in Denver. And during the course of events, I asked him if he wanted like to be the manager of the USA uh, under 19. Um, he accepted. And then uh, we ended up having three different uh, world tours, including uh, World Cup uh, in Chile. And so he was involved with that. Um, at the time that I uh, resigned from that position with the under 19s uh, to be a high school uh, principal up in Vail, Colorado, um, he, he went off and I went my way being a principal and in 2005 he came up and said hey we want to we're going to build a rugby stadium in Glendale we'd like you to uh, start the rugby program and, and design and build the stadium uh, to which I replied I have a nice job here and you'd have to pay me to do that um, and they left and I didn't think they'd come back because rugby at that time was full of inertia and uh I didn't think they'd be back. And a week later, they came back and said, uh, yep, we can do that. Uh, but when you come down to do this rugby, you're going to have to be the um, 
facilities director, the recreation director, project director, Homeland Security liaison, and write some grants for this program. And my response was, and I get to do rugby? To which they said yes. And so um, I took 24 hours and accepted that position, knowing that it was a a risk um, because nobody had ever built a rugby stadium and started a program like uh, we've ended up having here in Glendale. And pretty much conceding the fact you're never going to sleep another minute again with the 84 jobs that uh, Mike had given you. Well, exactly. And of course, at the time, you know, we didn't have any rugby. We didn't have a stadium. We had a piece of property that was um, not exactly a beautiful place. And so basically I had to explain to them what we needed. We had to tear down some buildings, uh, move some things. And then as we developed the program, uh, the other responsibilities, such as facilities director, et cetera, uh, got moved on to other people as the Glendale Rugby Program and the stadium developed and moved forward. Now, it's it's a program that found success very quickly, mate. Uh, just over a decade in existence, numerous championships from Division One USA championships to PRP championships and so on, WPL championships. It's a success in the city, in the program that yourself – uh, Mayor Donovan, Linda Cassidy, Kieran Nelson, the whole crew just come to expect. How do you feel about what happened this year? And can you put your finger on what happened this year? Well, it's a, uh, an interesting um, question. And I have a pretty strong view of, you know, uh, what happened. Obviously, um, I'm part of the, the entire program. But um some people might think that, you know, we made a coaching change because uh, the results on the field. Um, but really, uh, making a coaching change is not just about results. It's about the process. It's about the interaction of um, coach and players and uh, the direction that the program itself is moving. And uh, at the conclusion of the season, uh, we felt that we needed to make a change uh, into a different direction and get back to some of the cultural uh, things that we've done in the past. And we felt that was missing. And so we made the harsh decision uh, to change coaches. Now you talk about culture. It's a, it's a big buzzword in, in the rugby circles at the moment. Always a great culture. You know, I had some involvement with you and Glendale living in Denver. I came down and it was always a very welcoming, very great culture, very team orientated. Were there red flags throughout the year that you were seeing that kind of gave you some suspicions that, hey, we're going to have to make a change here to turn this around? Um, well, we had some uh, a review at the end of the past season and we made some uh, statements of things that – you know, we'd like to see changed uh, and some recommendations of things to be observed and so forth. And as the season progressed, uh, some of those things uh, didn't appear to be occurring. Uh, and then, you know, we obviously receive feedback from players. Uh, we also have our own observations. Um, and as the season progressed, um, you know, we continue to see issues that we thought needed to be addressed. And the best way to address that was a change in, in climate. 
and that decision's made. Pete Borlase is eventually your choice as head coach. Did you have, uh, I, I imagine you would have, had a lot of candidates interested in the job? Well, it's an interesting thing is um, after we uh, made our decision to make a change, um, I basically met with Pete and Luke Gross, who's now the defensive um, coach, who has been my director of amateur rugby and has a long um, history, playing history and coaching history with USA Rugby. Um, when we, the three of us were meeting, uh, Luke and I in particular, the more we met with uh, Pete, the more it became very obvious that um, he was the man that we wanted to to take the program as the head coach. Uh, and we feel that was a, a really positive decision. And now with Pete in place, uh, how has the offseason been in terms of building that coaching staff? You mentioned Luke Gross. I imagine yourself uh, will be involved as well. How have you filled out the rest of the staff there? Yeah, that's a, um, a really good point. We, um, I think a, a really uh, important thing was that um, Pete and Luke and I, uh, we started to meet immediately uh, in early June. And we have been, um, I, I say, hard at it since then. Uh, and Pete's response is that he he met more with us in the first couple of weeks than he had the entire season. Uh, previous staff, so um, he seemed pretty excited about uh, the direction we're going. Uh, and uh, to fill out our staff, we um, brought on uh, Stephen Brett. He played for the Crusaders and recently in France. He's in town now, actually, and uh, he'll be our attack coach. Uh, Travis Hagen is our analysis. We brought in a former player of mine um, named Peter Pask, went to CU and uh, actually coached with the CU football team and did a lot of recruiting with them. Um, and so he's been a huge addition as the manager, but he's also the head of our recruitment. Uh, we have Mose Timoteo as a specialist coach. We have access to Andre Bachelet also as a specialist coach. And then... Um, Robbie Daw as a back three specialist coach. Robbie Daw back three. Uh, I'm sorry, back three, back loose forwards. Thank oh, you. you oh, oh, I was going to say, Mark, you had too many late nights as a principal in Vale. If you're hiring Dawsey as your back three coach, yes, that would be true. He used to eat back three. He might learn a lot. You know, that'd be good for him. It would be. It would be. Mate, let's talk a little bit about players now. Uh, a lot was made of of players who had left, obviously, the retirement of some stalwarts. Casey Rock, a guy who was there with you from day one. Zach Fanolio, USA Eagle, uh, captain of the side for a long time. Uh, Dylan Takata-Simpson recently announced going to D.C. with Will McGee, Sean Davies' departure as well. A lot's being made of the players that are leaving, and I know Glendale's a proud club and they're not going to sit on their hands. Can you tell us a little bit about the recruiting, the players coming into the program? Yeah, well, first on the, uh, I think a, an interesting point is that four of our players um, were drafted by uh, the new franchises coming in. And so we're pretty um, unhappy to lose players um, because they were part of our setup. And so 
you know, obviously we have to um, replace, you know, what I'd consider quality players in our program. And so we have been hot on the trail and uh, looking for players. So we're, <clears throat> we're bringing in, uh, let's just say we're bringing in a prop that's from Samoa. We're not ready to announce, make those announcements yet. Um, but we have a, uh, uh, what I'd call a older steady head who's played quite a bit of rugby professionally in uh, France and has played a couple of uh, world cups with Samoa. That'll be coming in. We've got a, a, a really solid um, center wing who's coming in from Australia, who's uh, represented um, the Australian national team. He's recently played in Japan and in New Zealand. Um, those are probably our biggest hires that we have. We um, have also uh, recruited uh, a 10 uh, who's been playing recently in France, but um, had played in Munster prior to that. Uh, we have a college All-American that's coming on board uh, at the scrum half position. Um, and I would say part of that, uh, you mentioned Shawnee Davies, who um, his contract had ended that we didn't renew. And the scrum half, Carlo Donation, who's played really well for us this season, uh, is kind of moving into that slot. And as I mentioned, we're bringing in a collegiate All-American to uh, to fill in also at scrum half. And then Robbie Petzer, who played with us last year, <coughs> is actually, he played at 12 and played quite well, but actually he's a 10. Uh, he played last season as a 10 in the um, Curry Cup. And this past season, he led his Curry Cup uh, to the finals uh, in the, is it the championship bracket? I think it is. And so, you know, he will compete uh, for that 10 jersey uh, along with uh, the young Irish fella that will be coming in. Yeah, it sounds like some uh, quality coming in for sure. Mate, just a, a last message. I'll let you get to bed because it's getting a little late. What can the Raptors fans expect in 2020? How how are they going to right the ship and get back up to the top of the table where I know you and I know the fans and everyone is used to seeing the Glendale Raptors? Yeah, I, I really think that um, uh, just getting our – and I you know, you mentioned this earlier. I think part of it is getting our culture right um, so that uh, we've got all of the players on the same page uh, moving in the same direction with the coaches. And I, I think that's a, a big aspect of it. Obviously, you have to have talent to be able to compete. And I think uh, last year, one of the things that we saw was that the talent level went up drastically, particularly in the type five. Uh, and that's an area that we've addressed to um, improve our type five. So we think that uh, with better play, uh, up front and in the forwards um, that will be better competitively in the pitch. Well, Bulldozer, thanks for joining the show, mate. Look forward to seeing you at Infinity Park in a few months. Hopefully uh, none of that unseasonal spring snow this year for those home games, especially yeah, when Toronto well, comes down. Yeah, we hope so. We're, we're taking our crossover team up to Aspen. Heck, who knows? They could get snow this weekend. Oh, you know what? I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to hold you for another couple of minutes to talk a little bit about that crossover team because there was uh, a little bit made about it, but 
You guys have been working really hard on these World Rugby Combines and you have put a team together just for people. Can you give us a little bit of insight about the team and what the training is going to look like and then the competition up at Aspen Rugger Fest? Yep, yep. Well, so um, last year uh, we brought in, last year's team was about 75% uh, players who never played rugby before, mostly football, uh, track and field. And out of that group, uh, one has been playing for the Falcons on a regular basis, USA Falcons. Uh, one, it will be our starting hooker this year and uh, played significantly last year in Chad Golf. Uh, this year, we have uh, players that have more experience rugby-wise, and we've got some players that we, in this week's of practice so far, uh, we're looking at uh, could be offered contracts. And a couple of young players that could be offered opportunities to be part of our academy. So we use it as a, a you know, another form of identification. Uh, one of the big things is, is we get a week of training. So we get to see what kind of people they are, how they train, if they take this uh, professionalism seriously. And then obviously we go up to uh, the Aspen Rugger Fest. And now we have an opportunity to see him compete. Uh, And that gives us a a good look at, you know, who we may want to include in our roster. And because we run Major League Rugby and we have our academy program and then we have our PRP Division One program, some of those players might not slot into the academy or Major League Rugby, but they may slot in the PRP. And that gives them an opportunity for another couple of years development. And maybe they end up making the MLR team down the line. Yeah, exciting pathway for sure. I think it's always the uh, the unicorn that crossover athlete. I know Mike Friday's spoken quite uh, at length about rugby players who play other sports coming back to rugby as well, being a big yeah. key to success in the US. So it's great that you guys are tapping into that resource, and hopefully uh, we can catch up and you can give me some uh, some names, some players to watch after Aspen. Yep, yep. We'll be making our announcement of our uh, re-signs and new signs in the next uh, three or four weeks. And that'll be on the social media channels and glendaleraptors.com, I'm imagining? I, I certainly hope so. There you go. Got to get the socials out there, Mark. You know uh, that. That's yeah. where it's at. The kids these days, they love the socials. Yeah, they sure do. I'll tell you that. And what's your Instagram account? Bulldozer, <laughs> it's, uh, at Big Bulldozer. You know, there's some, I'm sure there's some big one might, might be more like at bulldog, uh, dot one. I love it. I'll, I'll go add you now. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks for joining the show, Mark. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to watching the Raptors run around under new head coach Pete Ball Lace in 2020. Thank you, Dan. And we're looking forward to the season. Also, we will see you soon, my friend. Thanks for All joining right. us again. Appreciate it. You bet. All right, interesting, interesting sit down with Marv. Known Mark for a long time, and you know a guy who has his finger on many pulses in rugby in the USA. It'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting, interesting is probably the best word to use there. Uh, look forward in twenty twenty for the Raptors, Pete. Well, I mean, it is a huge changing of the guard, right? I mean, you've got some um, really old. Uh, um, uh, Raptors that have been servants of that squad, like Zach Fanolio and Peter Dahl and Maximo de Archibald. I mean, they're they're all stepping away. Um, you know, we we saw the um, uh, 
DTS, um, Takato Sim, um, Takato Simpson is now going to Old Glory. He he was he played every game. He was a real stud for them at fullback. Um, I mean, I think Sean Davies, uh, as we heard, it wasn't renewed. But there's also rumors that Will McGee is no longer um, with Glendale. So that means replacing your nine, um, your ten, um, and your fifteen, which is pretty rough. I mean, one of the things that I'm not sure people understand is that the development of um, an attacking approach is probably two seasons in the making. It isn't just getting the players to understand or know where to go, but it's getting them to instinctually go somewhere, to be in the right place. And so that's one of the reasons why Glendale was so good on attack is that they'd had that consistency over the years of the same people knowing how they were going to play. So there's a lot of people there, Dan, that need to be replaced um, with with a new coach. And so, you know, lots of questions are, are to be asked. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the new coach as we look into 2020 in the outlook for the Raptors. Very, very different personality first and foremost. They have pretty much flipped the script from Dave Williams to Pete Borlase. Pete Borlase is a player's coach. You know, he's all about the emotional side and the relationship side of rugby. Um, I don't know if you've spent much time with Pete. Very easygoing, very relaxed. And I think the players will enjoy that change. Whenever you have a style of coach and there's a change, I think it's good to go with something different rather than much of the same. And then it's it's like a breath of fresh air and it gives you a renewed hope for the players that do come back to the Raptors in 2020. What were your thoughts when you saw Pete Borlase uh, announced as a new head coach? Well, I, I was I was with you. I mean, I think it's 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 good to have someone who who knows the players that that are there because that's a um, you know a big piece of of the onboarding. I think it's going to be one of the challenges when you bring a new coach in from the outside. Um, you know, but it's a it's it, it's a big big step for Pete. I think he he knows that. Um, you know, there's going to be um, a, a lot of change with the team, but there's also like you know, some of the best talent in the country, right? Especially some of the best U.S. talent. So, um, you know, you have Hanko Kamasez is there with um, Al Jabori. You know, the, those are two of the best young flankers, um, both at the World Cup. Um, you know, a really exciting player is Chad Goff, the hooker, who is, you know, showed he's a bit undersized, but showed what a good athlete is. And then, of course, um, Mika Kruse, one of the most exciting young players, I think he's 20 now, right? Um, or maybe 21 in the center. So there's a lot of exciting young players who, and all of those guys have 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 good experience. Um, I think we'll see um, Robbie Petzer move to fly half. That was his natural position. He looked phenomenal at 12, but I think you'll see him um, now come in at 10. The question is, who is his partner going to be? Um, and then they really need to um, nail down their set piece and their defense. I mean, that'll be the big challenge that um, uh, that Pete has. But they're, you know, in the set piece side, they've got um, uh, Luke Gross, who's the uh, assistant director of rugby, I believe, at Glendale, working with them. And I've, I've worked with Luke, and um, the the guy is sort of the line out whisperer. Like, if you have a problem with the line out, I would go to Luke. So I I, I know their line out's going to be strong, and I'm sure, um, you know, Pete will be uh, getting their scrum good and strong. So I think it's a good choice. Um, but you know, there's a lot of holes to be filled and a lot of work for Mark to be doing during this off season. Now, away from rugby, one of 
you know, your profession is, is high-level executive coaching and leadership. And in my world, I've noticed that the best leaders are the ones that identify their weaknesses and deficiencies and then fill them with talent around them that complement that. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think that the people that are most successful are the people that understand what they do well and understand what they don't do well and then build a leadership team around them that that um, that allows them to be successful. So I think I think that's right. I think self-awareness is one of the um, biggest traits of all the successful leaders that I've worked with in my practice. So in saying that, and thanks for agreeing with me, not putting me out to dry there, you're a good man. The signing of Stephen Brett as the assistant coach and backs coach to me was the biggest thing to come out of the preseason for the Raptors so far that said that they're serious about this. It's Pete Borlase identifying where he is not at his best, and that is coaching, you know, backline and that structure. He's a front row guy, he played in the front row. I expect Glendale to really shore up their set piece. You mentioned Luke Rose already. Line out, Pete will manage the scrum quite well and forward play. But between the two of them, probably some resentment towards anyone who wears a jersey 9 to 15, but now they're going to have to deal with them. So the hiring of uh, Stephen Brent out of the Crusaders, and you know, I think he worked with Orkham Blues for a period of time as well, and then over in Japan. Very, very experienced coach, almost with uh, uh, credentials to be a head coach in MLR, but he comes in under Pete Borlase. I thought that was a really good pickup from Pete and Glendale as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that's that's what that's a really good coaching staff. I think one of the <clears throat> challenges that a lot of teams have is that they don't they don't have this fully rounded staff. I think that they um, rely on player coaches. I mean, I, I know I've had conversations with head coaches in the league that that have player coaches taking different areas of the game, and and that's great. And often those player coaches, are, you know, experienced internationals and bring a lot to the table. But the actual coaching is about 25% of the job. It's the other 75% that you need help in as the head coach. So I think that the um, what you'll see with um, – and, and I think you know one of the interesting things about Pete that I think will be a strength is that he's going to let the people around him really get after their job, really engage and take some ownership. And I think that's going to be really, really important. And when that happens, what you see is you see teams improve throughout the season. I think that when you have a um, a full coaching staff that are all fully engaged, you get to see improvement and you get to see teams get better. And I think it's one of the things that um, San Diego do really well. I mean, they've got a really great coaching staff. Um, Rob Hoadley lets his assistants get after it. And you can see that they continue to improve and develop throughout the season. And I think, you know, that'll be a model that will serve Glendale well um, in year three. All right, last thing on the Raptors. Do they make the top four next year? Do they come out one or two in the West and make the top four? Um, I don't think so. And I think part of it's because the West is very strong. Um, and I think part of it is, like I said, it, it, it you know, it's not when you're developing an approach to play and a team culture in the professional environment, it's not a one-season, one-preseason deal. Um, you know, this is something that takes a couple of seasons to get everyone on board. So I think that um, I think what what you'll see, I, th- I think they can be competitive, and I think that we'll see them improve tremendously throughout the year. So by the end of the year, they might be in the top two, 
But I think their first few games are going to be a bit of a struggle as they learn to play, um, you know, in, in, in a new approach, which is, you know, for the first time for the Raptors for a long time. Yeah, I think it'll be the uh, year of the possum for the Raptors. Good at home, but dead on the road. <laughs> yes. I've been wanting to work that one in for weeks now, Pete. I got it. <laughs> nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. How long have you, how long have you been like work, trying to get that one in, Dan? It's written right in front of my notes at some point. Get the possum in there. And I got it in. That's so good. All right, mate. Let's go around the grounds quickly. First, we've got a lot of news that has happened in Major League Rugby. Uh, I'll, I'll key off on a couple of league announcements. Uh, have you heard? Have you heard? That's right. The Austin Elite are no more. And uh, I'll make it one more joke, hoping Andrew Suniel is not tuning in and doesn't find me here. But uh, there's nothing elite about coming last. So they rename themselves the Austin Herd. Uh, the orange gone from the uniform. It's total rebrand down there, which I think is great news. And hopefully that can engage the community in Austin, get them back on board as well. And looking forward to uh, seeing the Herd get after it with uh, Dozer down there. I Yeah. I, I love this rebrand. Um, you know, I, I saw some social media where people are like, I don't get it. I mean, you know, in Texas, uh, you know, it's about it's about the cattle, right? And and so Yeah, Longhorns, they're in Austin. It's gotta be you gotta be engaged with that Texas community there, UT. Right, but you can't call yourself the Longhorns. And in, No, this is as close as we can get. Right. And, and in fact, you know, I think one of the reasons they moved away from Burnt Orange was that it was too close to the University of Texas. But I, well, one of the reasons why I like the Austin Herd is a big push that's going on down there by, um, you know, Andrew and Todd Clever um, and Paul Santanelli is to really reach out to the local community. Um, and, you know, um, Austin has a good rugby uh, pedigree in the US. And the, the idea of the herd is we're all in this together, right? So it's the, Blacks and the Huns and the Valkyries and it's the you know the youth programs and the high school programs we're all part of the Austin Herd so I think it's a I think it's a very very smart rebrand um, I think they had to rebrand after last year um, but they've got a lot of work to do because some of their best players are no longer in Austin so that's uh, that's going to be a challenge for them to make sure that they have a competitive team on the field. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later about players moving around, but also John Persh, uh, a name many are familiar with in the USA rugby landscape, was formerly with USA Rugby, doing some stuff with uh, the WWE, uh, WWF back in my day until the World Wildlife Foundation got involved. Thanks a lot, Panda Bears, ruining my wrestling. But John Purse, he joins as the uh, chief commercial officer as well. So he'll be stationed out there at headquarters in Utah. Good pickup and a good sign showing that uh, MLR is really going to focus in on the commercial side of things now. So expect to see an influx of sponsorship and new things happening with the league with uh, the addition of John Purse out there. Yeah, I mean, I know John, uh, you know, he's he, he has the right the right background. He's well-grounded um, in the you know commercial and sponsorship side of sport. And he's a rugby guy. He played, um, I think he played Division Three football, um, but then went on to play rugby. So he's a, he's a good rugby guy. It's not an easy environment to, um, to, to get sponsors in sport right now. Um, so <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure about the influx of all the sponsors, but um, I think we've got um, 
you know, someone who can who can definitely support the league, especially, you know, with the search for a new commissioner now ongoing and that job description being very commercial focused. I think the league is, you know, recognizes that year three um, is going to be a really important year in terms of um, bringing in revenue. Right. So making sure that the league is able to support itself and not from the pockets of the owners. And so I think this is part of the uh, um, push for the reorganization of the league. Exactly right, Pete. All right, mate. Lots of signings. Uh, Too many to go through on the podcast, actually. And uh, just a, a quick shout out to our producer, Aaron Castro. If you want to keep up to date with these signings, get on Twitter and follow Aaron Castro at Strobo, S-T-R-O-B-R-O on Twitter. He is the absolute best at getting these signings up very quickly. Uh, He usually gets a little bit of a a head start on some of the teams, in fact. And if you want to keep up with all the new signings and all the uh, transitions and moving in between teams, get on Twitter and follow our producer, Aaron Castro. He'll keep you up to date there. But Pete, you and I, we're just going to focus on a couple of our favorite ones. So who have been the big signings so far that have been announced that you've really looked at and said, that's a great pickup? Well, I mean, I think for me, one of the really interesting parts of Major League Rugby coming into year three is the connection with the college game. So there are two interesting collegiate All-American signings. So Wesley White, who's actually Jake White's son, um, you know, has just signed for Austin. So I talked about how Austin had some, um, uh, you know, some uh, positions to fill. Uh, well, Wesley's going to fill that coming from Lindenwood and, and a collegiate All-American. And then the um, the other one is uh, Rob um, Iremescu from Penn State, a two-time All-American um, who's now signed with New York. And I think both of these are really interesting signings and it's going to be, um, you know, I, I want to follow these collegiate All-Americans. I want to see how quickly that they're, they're both coming from, you know, top four collegiate teams last year to see how much time they get early on, how long it takes for them to, you know, become starters on their teams. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting um, opportunity to follow some of these collegiate All-Americans. So those are the two of the signings over the last week or so that have really caught my eye. All right, before I tell you my two, does Austin have a coach yet? I don't know. Not as far as I know. And you're telling me that Wes's dad is Jake White. (laughs) Oh, I don't know that Major League Rugby is uh, um, is quite ready for, for for Jake White. It would certainly be uh, um, an impressive signing. What you know? I know it's not Jake White. It, it's what? I know it's not Jake White. Oh come on, Jake! You you want to be a good dad? Get involved. Spend some time with your son and just coach. 22 other guys at the same time. Why not? Come on. Austin's so much fun too. All the food there. And- weren't you just – Dan, weren't you just driving your kids around to like various sporting events? You, you want Jake White to follow in your footsteps, right? He should be there when he's playing. I do. I do. Uh, let me tell you, Jake, uh, come over to America. There is nothing more invigorating than watching uh, seven-year-old volleyball practice. It will just get you on the edge of your seat, my friend. Uh, it'll blow your mind. You'll absolutely love it. So, Jake White, Austin Heard, you heard it here first. New head coach is going down at some point, I hope. God, that would... That would... So, what are your signings, Ben? What are your signings? 
I, I'm actually, I actually had uh, two transfers. So I really think it's great to see some changing in between the teams, Pete. I, we see it in professional leagues all over the world. And to me, it was always a little bit of a... When, when club rugby existed here and even in the Super League days, teams would flux year to year based on the players that they could bring in. Uh, you know, then they would just disappear forever out of the league. But to have players staying in the league but moving in between teams, I actually like that. It, it adds some flavor to the games from our end on the broadcast MP. It you know, adds these great narratives and storylines for us. So my two is one of the man crushes. Uh, don't worry, Seattle. It's not Brad Tucker. He's staying put. But DTS, Dylan Takato Simpson out of Glendale, I thought an absolute star at fullback. You know, unbelievable attacking player. Very, very charismatic guy. Just a a marketing dream if, if you're running the team. And he goes to DC as their marquee signing. And I'm sure they're going to really push that uh, DTS theme out there with him as well. A great pickup for, uh, for Washington, DC. Paul Sheehy and his crew out there. Masterstroke getting him because he is just a great attacking weapon and you can build a back line around his creativity. The other one, which was actually announced today, just before we started recording, and maybe one that flew under the radar for a lot of people, but I'm actually a really big fan of this guy, is Kyle Breitenbach. So he spent the first two years with Austin Elite. And as we saw with Ben Mitchell, who's gone to San Diego as well, flew under the radar. He was a bit of an a unsung hero for Austin Elite, a very, very big engine. He works hard, runs great line, makes his tackles, gets around the field well. He's a big guy. And they're looking to replace uh, the Walrus, Matt Truville, who's retired. And I think they've picked up an absolute gem in Brayton Bark. And I think he's really going to do well down there under the coaching of Paul Healy as well. Those are my two. Well, I think I think those are um, I think both of those are, are, are really good signings. And you're and you're right about the movement of team of, of players. I mean, there's a there's an internal draft where um, teams can. Um, protect some of their players while other teams can come in and talk to them. Um, I, th- I think there's, there's been a couple of other appointments um, off the field that I think are really critical. And this is sort of part of the maturation of of the league because when people talk about the high-performance environment, what they're generally not really talking about is what is what happens on the pitch, whether it's at training in the game, it's at all the things that go around it. And there have been some teams that have made some um, interesting choices. So one is... Um, old glory, old glory um, in DC have appointed um, John Manson as their ops manager. And the interesting thing about this is that he comes from the Glasgow Warriors, and this is part of that relationship that the Scottish Rugby Union has um, with Old Glory. They're an investor, and now they're providing them with someone who's, you know, been a manager for the you know Scotland U twenties and the Scotland Sevens, and was the ops manager at Glasgow in the Pro fourteen and the Champions. I mean, this is like this is a real top class guy and having him come in and help run that operation, I think is going to be um, really important for, especially for a new team. And then there are two like S and C appointments that were interesting. So Houston have brought on board Ashley Jones, who, um, you know, really comes with an amazing background was with the Crusaders and was with Edinburgh. And I think right now is actually with Samoa at the world cup before he comes to Houston. And then, um, Seattle brought on Chris Toombs, um, and Chris has a, a, a long history with Seattle. He worked for Adiverse. I Chris actually worked with me with the uh, women's national team. Um, was comes from the club um, from the Cardiff Blues. Uh, another guy that brings 
this professional experience. And, you know, I've been talking to a couple of the coaches in the league about how important strength and conditioning is, and not just in the sense that, you know, we need someone to be strong, we need them to be fast, we need them to be fit. But with the experience that these guys bring, you can actually um, do less work and have your gain. So um, the S&C coach that worked with Seattle this past year, Ian Gibbons, is the guy that worked with me going to the World Cup. And um, when we went to the World Cup in the, I think it was like six weeks that we were together, I think um, Ian ran one 10-minute conditioning session. And outside of that, he worked with me to design activities that got all the conditioning the players need. And so it just made everything, it meant I could do more training because they didn't have to be running. Um, and it meant that, um, you know, we were just more efficient. So when you get those, that kind of level of strength and conditioning and that kind of level of off-field support, it allows you to be more efficient. That means that, you know, your players don't have to be on their feet as long. It keeps them fresher throughout the season. Um, it's just, it's just a, a, a benefit. So seeing some of this capability come into the league I think is a big, big step forward. Yeah, all great sign. I just want to dial in a little bit on Ashley Jones because you've kind of skimmed over this guy's achievements. He is one of the, you know, the foremost figures of strength and conditioning in rugby in the world. He worked with the All Blacks, the Wallabies, uh, Crusaders. He was in the NRL in Australia, the Rugby League, with the Knights, Eels, and the uh, Manly Sea Eagles. But this guy's fingers have touched, you know, his fingerprints have touched through these great, great programs with massive success. Get on YouTube, type in All Blacks Pushing Tin, and you'll see Ashley Jones on there doing a gym session with the All Blacks. Listen to some of the things he's talking about. He was years ahead of his time in how he retrained and reprogrammed the All Blacks with their S&C program. And for Houston to pick up Ash Jones is just unbelievable. Uh, it, it's, it's almost as big as some of the signings on the field that you're going to see. And I know you just touched on that, Pete, but... People, do yourself a favor and do some background research on Ash Jones and, and strength and conditioning, especially if you enjoy pushing a little tin around and throwing a little rubber. He is uh, he's an incredible guy, and, and I'm sure he's going to do fantastic things down there in Houston. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think the important thing that, you know, as, as um, you know, as U.S. and Canadian rugby, we need to think about how we capture and work with these guys to um, to to learn from them, right? So, it's you know it's 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 we have I mean I I I remember having this discussion with a couple of people at USA Rugby when um you know they would say well there's no reason why um you know the US has the best strength and conditioning in the world in terms of training and that's true but to be fully integrated and have a true high performance environment you need people with this experience and so. You know, I just hope we're able, we're able to get some of our young S&C coaches who want to be in rugby to get them to get the experience that they need with these guys that have um, this international experience. And you're right about um, Ashley Jones. Of course, there's one other appointment that we haven't talked about that we were on tender hooks for like 10 days, which is the um, Rooney head coach. Rooney have a head coach. Um, Mike Tolkien has um, is is no longer the head coach and they've, brought in Greg McWilliams, um, who coaches at Yale and is currently Japan with the uh, um, U.S. Eagles as the attack coach. What do you think about that signing as a coach, Dan? Well, firstly, whoever's running Rooney's social media accounts either got fired 
putting that up uh, and then the announcement not getting go, or they got a promotion, depending on how much traffic came through those platforms after the announcement. Uh, I, for one, was on there the next morning uh, hitting refresh going, well, I, th- I think I know who it is, but you never know. You know, James Kennedy and James English, the uh, you know, JK, the crafty Irishman, he can pull a rabbit out of a hat when he needs to. Maybe it was just a little bit of a, a you know, a baiting and everyone thought one thing, but it turns out we were right. It was uh, McWilliams who gets the job. I think it's a good hire. I, I think he's a, a young guy and, you know, I'm, I'm a Mike Tolkien guy. I like Mike Tolkien a lot. But I think going into it, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think Mike knew that his time with Rooney was going to be pretty short. Just get this thing off the ground, get it going. He was a well-known New York coaching figure that could have brought the playing roster together from all the different uh, factions in the New York area, served his purpose to take it to the next level. I think this was a good move for all parties uh, involved. So I like the hire. Uh, I think the players are going to like the hire. I've, I've heard some chatter around you know, being pretty critical of Dylan Fawcett out there. And uh, I just, I haven't seen that, you know, and again, I'm not in the locker room and, but uh, that, that was interesting to come out that, you know, Dylan Fawcett was uh, a, a troublemaker in the locker room and had some issues there, but my dealings with, with Rooney and with, with the butcher have been nothing but uh, quality. So it'll be uh, something to keep an eye on for sure, whether or not, those rumors are true or whether it was just something coming out from a disgruntled former employee. Yeah. I mean, I think this will be a big step for, um, for Greg, you know, um, very, very good coach. Um, some very good experience back in, in Ireland. Of course I coached against him in the 2014 world cup when he was, um, the assistant at Ireland, um, with the Irish women. Um, no, didn't win. Thanks for, thanks for bringing it up. Um, if, if we'd won, I'd have probably brought it up then. But as I didn't bring it up, you should have been more sensitive. Um, Did you win? Did you beat him? Oh, sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. Oh. But why did you mention that you did it? If you, I, I thought that was a layup. But I, sorry, bud. <laughs> so, um, but but it, this will be a big step step up for him. So again, I'll I'll look to see. Who does he bring around him? Um, you know, James English, the general manager there, is actually a very capable coach in his um, own right, but has uh, enough on his plate. So it'll be interesting to see who they who they bring in to work to work with him. But you know, a good a good choice. And there's still some coaches like Austin doesn't have a coach. Um, uh, Utah still doesn't have a coach. Uh, interesting that um, uh, you know the assistant forge coach. Uh, um, uh, Keith Lensing has gotten, gone from New York and is now the head coach at Seattle. So there's been some movement of, of coaches, but still not all decided. Yeah, and we've uh, still yet to hear officially out of DC who their head coach is, correct? Or has that been announced? Did I miss that? I don't think it's been announced. You're right. Okay. So a couple of vacancies out there, but I'm sure they're going to get filled. That'll give us something to talk about over the next coming weeks. So I don't think there's anything going on rugby-wise in the next couple of weeks, is there? Uh, well, you know, I think um, I think there's a sort of like a um, invitational tournament of some kind going on in Japan. Oh, that's right! Kicks off tomorrow morning, four forty-five. Set the alarm. Actually, we'll go three forty-five Pacific, two 
no, 6.45 Eastern. You lucky people out in the East Coast don't have to uh, wake up at 4.45. Japan and Russia, the host nation, Japan, getting things kicked off against Russia. Vladimir Putin, he's uh, he's got the vodka stocked up. He's ready to go. He can't wait to watch his boys take on Japan. And that kicks off tomorrow. Of course, the USA don't play until the 26th. That'll be our opening game of the tournament. And uh, we play, I think we have a real soft game to start. Easy game out of the gates. Uh, England, uh, that'll be fun. And uh, Italy, Canada, also on the 26th as well. So the Canadians will take on Italy. And I think they would have probably circled that one in the calendar as a potential upset. Italy could be looking past Canada and that could be a game that they can spring uh, on the Italians there. I've heard this. I've heard this about Canada. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that if if Canada have a chance, so so the interesting thing is that the um, Canadians and the US have very um, very similar schedules. So they're both playing a Six Nations team. We're playing um, England and Canada are playing Italy. They're both playing them while um, <clears throat> the Tier One team is on a short week, right? So um, Italy play Namibia on the uh, um, on the 21st and England um, play Tonga on the 22nd. So England only have um, a three-day rest before they play the U.S., but they're also playing Tonga in the U.S. So they'll be able to rotate. They'll probably, at the end of those two games, they'll probably have everyone have, has started a game. That'll be the sort of thing that you would do with that three-day rest. And, of course, this is the first World Cup where Tier 1 nations are, are, are – where Tier 1 and Tier 2 nations both have a mixture of rests. It used to be that the Tier 1 nations always had a week and their games were always on the weekends. And then teams like the US and Canada had to be split um, you know, and work their way around and, and ended up being squeezed. So so both both teams are doing it. I think, you know, I think a credible performance against the US is um, certainly something so for the US against England is certainly something that we can do. I think that, um, you know, uh, there's um, a good break after that game. So I think, you know, we'll be playing our, our, our best side. Um, but I also think England will probably play, play their best side. I think they'll probably play their reserves against Tonga and then play their best side against us. So that makes it, I think, a very, very tough game. I've heard people targeting Italy. Italy are a very, very good side. Um, Canada right now are not. Um you know they they got through to the World Cup um, in uh, you know through the repechage. Uh, you know the the US has beaten them twice, once quite easily, um, once in in a game that was obviously much closer. Um, and but I think the advantage that they have is that Italy will probably look at Namibia and say Namibia is the game that we need to you know probably play our better team. So they might be able to catch Italy looking the other way but um italy have some wonderful players they've got a great 10 um they've got a very strong you know parisi and the the number eight i mean they've got really world-class players i think it'll be tough for either um the us or um canada to um be anything more than just making it a competitive game yeah i'll be interested to see what eddie jones does i actually think the opposite from what you do i think eddie's going to play a stronger side against tonga to give them more of a rest before they face Argentina on the 5th of October. And I think that that way... That's a, that's a, that's a long break, though, right? From the 26th to the 5th. I mean... I yeah, not really. I mean, it's more, it's more than a week. 
Not really. We think if you play a Friday night game and then the next week you play a Sunday game, it's nine days. It's not too far off that. Tong is very physical. I mean, they're probably not going to challenge England on the scoreboard, although you know there's been the, the historic upset at, uh, was it 2007 World Cup where they beat France? Was that 2007? Yeah. Or 11? No, it was, it was seven. But So you never know. So I think he, he'll come out with his strongest side against Tonga. Uh, USA just four days later will get a little bit more of a uh, outside of that top twenty-three side, and then he'll bring his stronger side against that that big game against Argentina on on the fifth. So maybe, maybe you know Japan, South Africa last World Cup is it USA England this World Cup? Wouldn't that be something? It, it, I mean, I mean, if 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 the US beat England, um, that would be a bigger shock than. Um, Japan beating South Africa at the last World Cup. What will you do? What will you do if it happens? What would I do? I mean, I would celebrate. Yeah, I'm just trying to get you to say something. No, no, you've got to do something embarrassing. Say something like, I'm going to eat my shoe. Yes, there we go. How about you eat, you, you eat Aaron Castro's shoe after he finishes a triathlon? I'll eat my shoe. He loves his triathlons. I will eat Aaron Castro after, after he finishes the triathlon. I'm willing to make that. If, if, okay, deal. You heard it here, folks. USA, they're going to beat England 26th of September. Get up at 4.45 a.m. if you're tomorrow. I mean, I mean if, if Blaine Scully, if, if Blaine, and I, I was fortunate enough to be um, starting my trip out to Madrid on the day that um, the US men were leaving and, and actually was in the gate next to them and got to catch up with some of them. But so if, you know, if Blaine Scully and, and, and his guys need some extra motivation, making me eat Aaron Castro's shoe after a triathlon, I'm, I'm sure that they'll, they'll get together and, you know, like, you know, they'll, they'll, someone will Photoshop a picture of me eating a shoe and putting it up in the locker room for that extra motivation. I can see that happening. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm almost tempted to give Gary Gold a call and tell him, hey, I got one left in me, Gary. I got to make Peter I, I think, I think, I think a credible performance, you know, we've, we've, we've played England a few times um, at World Cups and I think a credible performance sort of within 20 or 25 points would, would set up the rest of the World Cup very nicely. This is the hardest game that we have. Um, we are in the pool of death, right? So we've got um, England, France, and Argentina. Um, and those, the, all three of those teams probably feel like they can make it to the semifinals. And then it's um, us and Tonga. And just like Canada, we'll be looking to, you know, really our best chance of being a favorite and winning a game. I mean, I think that there's, you know, you've got France and Argentina, neither of which are the most... Um, uh, consistent teams, but the um, you know the best chance of both the US and playing Canada and and Canada of winning a game is their last game. Unfortunately for the US and Canada, that comes on short rest from the game before. So, so I think that you know once we get into the uh, um, you know into into October, that's when we'll we'll know a lot more because the US plays Argentina on October eighth, and they play. Um, on, so that's the Tuesday, and they have a game on Saturday against um, Tonga. So not a lot of time to recover. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be tough. I mean, this is this is definitely. I think. I mean, I think it is without question the best um, U.S. team that's ever gone to a World Cup. Um, I feel like um, you know some of the players that are there are really twenty twenty three. But uh, you know, I think I think we've got a strong staff. I mean, I'm just excited to see how we grow throughout. I mean, I think one of the things about going to World Cups is that. Um, you know, the experience is so different. It's not like touring, you know, you can go on a month long tour to Europe and it's just not the same. The there's, you know, the distractions are are bigger, but the intensity is higher. So your practices are more intense. Um, the games are more intense. And I think a team like the U S if we can stay healthy and we can grow throughout the tournament, um, you know, I think, you know, I'm sure Gary Gold and his staff are just saying, look, when we play Argentina and we play Tonga, we want to be playing the best rugby of the World Cup. We just want to get better as players absorb this experience, you know, experience the large crowds, the, the focus and improve. And I think if they do that, then they'll be um, they'll be in um, a, a really good place. And I'm just excited to see them go on that. No, and I think... You know, uh, we've played quite a bit against the Argentina 15 side in the ARC. So I don't think Argentina will be taking the USA lightly, having beaten their 15 side a few times. Uh, and I know it's a vastly different side, but they know what the US is capable of. I think the big chance that we have for the upset is going to be against uh, France, who as you know, can be very French sometimes and throw in a performance that uh, gives you a chance to kind of upset them. All right, I'm going to let you go to bed. i got one more question for you. You coached at the 2014 World Cup. Did you notice a significant difference? You just talked a little bit about it then, but performance-wise and attitude-wise, was there a big difference in the playing group? A difference between 2014 and 2017 or... No, just in general, like, you know, a normal, like you go on tour and but I know World Cup's a bigger occasion. There's going to be a little bit different, but, but were there people that really stood out to you and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I, it's, it, it, it's just a very different, it is a very different experience within the playing group. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's the pinnacle of your career, right? And so... There's um, a lot more stress. Um, selections take on um, a real finality, right? So if you play and you you know and you find yourself not selected at the World Cup, it's not like oh I can wait until the next tour. And so there's a lot of effort that has to go into managing um, the players' mental states to make sure that they remain focused. So if you're not selected, that you find a way to deal with it and um, help the team perform. Uh, um, and so, and, and there's, yeah, the, the practices are more intense. Um, every, there's just a little edge about everything. And so, you know, I actually, uh, um, you know, when, when I saw some of the, 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 um, the Eagles in, at the airport, I was like, you know, just make sure that you get out of your, um, hotel, right. Cause sometimes when you're tired and you time off, what you're going to do is go back to your room. And it can just become quite oppressive. So finding opportunities for them to be able to get out and go and do things and get their mind off it. It's that that's probably the hardest thing, Dan, I would say, and it's true for the staff too, is that when you're at the World Cup, it's very difficult to switch off. 
Yeah, you put in so much work to get there. Enjoy it. You might as well, you know. It's a fun way to do it. Don't, don't let rugby get in the way of a good time. Yeah, exactly. No, just kidding. Go out there. Go out there and win. All right, mate, that wraps it up. Uh, next time we're on, a couple of weeks, uh, we'll know whether or not you are dining down on some footwear. And we will jump into New Orleans Gold as the review and previews continue with the MLR teams. But uh, looking forward to the World Cup. Make sure you put your coffee on, Pete. Stay up, watch some games, and we will talk a little World Cup too next time, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot of on-demand viewing without checking my phone or social media or logging on because some of these times are brutal, um, especially, you know, so t- tomorrow's um, actually pretty good because I'm in, I'm in, um, I'm at Newark Airport um, and so it shouldn't be too bad tomorrow. But, you know, those 1.30 a.m. games, mountain time, those might be a little rough. I think I might just be trying to wake up early and uh, watch the game before any, anyone else gets up. But remember, please, um, if you like the podcast, please give us a rating, whether it's at Stitcher or Google Play or iTunes. If you give us a rating, um, that helps other people find us and it shares the news about Major League Rugby. Beautiful stuff. For Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro, this has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast. <laughs>